Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. from our saying our names we were like (laughs) (laughs) oh I'm so excited Leslie we missed you so much I missed all of you oh and happy Halloween thank you happy Halloween to all of you as well out there in listener land that's right it's Halloween happy (gasps) Halloween that was Leslie's grand Mm re-entrance we did plan it like that so it's pretty good (laughs) so Leslie missed today no absolutely not that would have been awful and Though we did have to miss doing live shows this year, which was sad. It was sad. We'll be back next year. Somebody asked me, they're like, do you still have a live show? I was like, when? No. No, we do not. <laughs> Leslie has a newborn. <laughs> We're lucky we had as much content as we did. I know. So, <laughs> so listen, tell us everything. How are you? How is baby Bowie? What is life like? Have you managed to stay spooky while you okay, were away? So... I got to the hospital around. Listen, I haven't heard that story, so you tell it all you want. (laughs) We don't have time for that. It's fine. And it really is a horror story, though, so I should have. I was getting text updates from your mom. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, your mom was texting. We haven't gone over any of this. You had the baby, and we're like, we're just going to talk about the baby. (laughs) That's so funny. I got texts from Diane. I got texts from John. I was getting updated. It was good. Good. (laughs) And then some other people, not at all. And they were like, do you have the baby yet? And I was like, ah, oh, shit. Oh, well, I, I guess I feel really special you now because I got yeah. priority. <laughs> yeah, Your mom texted me early that, not early, like in the morning. She's like, yeah. Leslie's water broke at like 5 a.m. She's having the baby. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah it was, um, you know, labor is great. Was it as scary as you imagined it would be? You were a little Uh, nervous. Everybody's nervous, first of all. Yeah. I mean, I think you have a right to be nervous. You have every right (laughs) to be nervous. No, just kidding, guys. It's it feels so good. It's it was the best thing ever. I don't know why people are worried about it. Just sit in a baby pool in your front room. Yeah. You'll be fine. It's totally fine. (laughs) I got pictures of you from your mom just like thumbs up. It's happening. So much fun. Get the epidural. <laughs> I did get that text too. Leslie got her epidural. Yeah. Like, oh, good for her. I'm glad she's yeah. taking a break now. <laughs> all good. Shout I don't out know to what Diane. I was thinking. <laughs> Girl, we all get there and we're like, uh, I can do this. Oh, no, 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 no. Help, help me. Thank yeah. you. Thanks yeah. very much. <laughs> that was good. That was nice. That's how it always yeah. goes. And and that happened on October 1st. We did yes. not. We did not give a date because mm-hmm. I didn't know when you wanted to talk about it. So oh, I just yeah. kind of alluded to it for a little while and mm-hmm. then we talked about it but yeah yeah what a cool birthday yeah I know I'm so excited she her due date was September 30th so pretty close and she did a good job yeah so that night we went for like a walk and I did that like curb walking mm-hmm. and was doing like inversion on your head <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then like and then I think John went out for just a little bit 
and like immediately I was like, I think I'm starting contractions, but then went to bed and then my water broke. And I was like, good job, girl. I wanted an October baby. Yeah. You heard it. Yeah, that's pretty. You spoke it into the universe. Yeah. She made it happen. Mm-hmm. You were afraid of your water breaking somewhere weird and it didn't. It, yeah. You got you all know, the things. And I'm a little disappointed that it didn't. I wanted one of those like New York Street water breaking stories. I thought it was going to break while we were recording. That would have been ideal. Yeah. <laughs> and very on brand for us. For sure. For okay, sure. we have to stop now. <laughs> I mean, essentially, it almost did. We did have to stop an episode. We did. That's true. Early. Yeah. So. Oh, boy. What a wild time. That was pretty close. It was. um, No, it's good. Yeah. So we had our baby girl October 1st Mm -hmm. at 5.37 p.m. Violet was an evening baby, too. So polite. I know. It was. uh, It all happened really fast, I felt like. I yeah. didn't even get to eat all my snacks. We brought so many snacks. So good. And then I couldn't eat after after the epidural. I uh, sneaky ate because I was so hungry. Yeah. And I was fine. I think it's They just don't want you to throw up. Yeah. I was like, I brought chocolate-covered pretzels, and I'll be eating these. Yes. And 17 baby cans of ginger ale. <laughs> yeah. Keep them coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, had, um, I had chicken broth spoon-fed to me. Cute. Yeah. <laughs> I was not as cute as that. No. <laughs> I did not look cute, but it was fine. You look cute in every picture I got. And you were in labor. So (laughs) I think you were killing it. And your baby is the cutest baby. Yeah. Bowie May. She's so precious. We like her. Keep her. We'll keep her. That's good. Yeah. Violet and I got to meet her. We're so excited. Mm -hmm. She's the cutest baby. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. Yeah. So that was my month. Is that what you've been up to? Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Nothing much. Just hanging out. Um, And we were lucky enough while Leslie was otherwise occupied to have some really great guests. So I just want to thank Jesse, John, and John. Yes, thank (laughs) you. Two Johns. Yeah, for holding down the fort while Leslie took care of business. Um, They were really great. I hope you guys enjoyed their episodes. I had fun talking with them. And um, it was neat to have like a different perspective, but I missed you. I know. I missed you too. But they were fun. They were fun episodes. Yeah, yeah. So I hope you guys had fun with them. Thank you again. Um, Have you been sleeping much, Leslie? Oh, not much. Maybe like an hour a day. Not enough. It's not enough. That's not enough. You're pretty sleep deprived. And to be honest with you, Halloween is such a busy time around here that I'm pretty sleep deprived myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, no comparison, but Mm -hmm. I'm still tired. It's a miracle that we got four whole episodes in for you guys right into the wire. I'm impressed. We did it. Yeah, you Man. did it. <laughs> I did and it. I, <laughs> and I sat back and was like, you go, girl. Where's that photo suite? <laughs> That's right. That's right. So I'll pat myself on the back and give you a photo suite high five. But sadly, all of this this work and sleep deprivation has left us so pale. So, so pale. So dehydrated. Mm-hmm. And on Halloween Day, too, Ugh. the most important of all holidays, next to Satanic Pizza Friday, of course. Uh, for sure. Yeah. Can't forget that one. Mm-mm. But we'd really like to kind of, like, pick ourselves up and look our best yeah. for this evening. Like, yep. We just, want, we just want that Halloween moment. And I have tried every remedy known to humankind to fix myself up, and just none of them really worked. However, mm. I do remember hearing the legend of one magical ingredient that can take care of all of our woes in one shot. And that magical ingredient is just a little pinch of... Breast milk. No! Here we're dying on. <laughs> Unexpected. 
Listen, there is a little phase in your baby having life where your whole life is breast milk. Yeah. So I get it. Yeah. We're going to try that one more time. <laughs> okay, okay. But breast milk is Sorry. the remedy for most Ooh. things that will clear up your acne and stuff. It will. It's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. I do remember hearing the legend of one magical ingredient that could take care of our woes in one shot. Mm-hmm. And that magical ingredient is, one more time, just a little pinch of validation, a hill worth dying on. Oh, we missed your rendition. John and John did, gave us a little rendition of it, though, and I sang it once. So it, I know. We never went without it. I know. Listen, you had said to John Ratacasa, oh, Leslie's going to be so proud of you. Mm. But really, every time I heard somebody else sing it, I just kept going, oh, man, like they're all so much better. (laughs) Everyone's going to be like, why does Leslie Mm. sing so much? Like everyone else can sing. No, because we love your singing and we Uh missed your validation jingle. (sighs) Anyway. I was like, guys, stop doing it so well. That's not the point. (laughs) (laughs) We're just trying to fill in for you. And you know what? Speaking of validation, Cristobal <laughs> Leslie, our fiends can give us that priceless ingredient totally free of charge. Did you like that segue? I did. It yeah. was good, yeah. right? I saw I saw your skin like getting drier as I was unvalidating <laughs> you. Just dehydrating before your eyes. Well, good thing we can get that ingredient free of charge. Yeah, for sure. You're not getting it from me. <laughs> but I am like, I am doing something. I'm like having a little wonder. What could I be yeah. doing right now? What question could I be asking myself? But, but why? <laughs> but how? You must be asking yourself. It's been Leslie, a while. We had to start over. You've been gone for too oh long. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's that hour of sleep. It's not it enough. Is. Well, I will tell you. Simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward. Ratings and reviews equal attention, attention equals support, and support equals more and better content for all of you. But if you just can't wait for more We Would Be Dead in your life, don't worry, you don't have to. You can support us over on Patreon. Patreon, Patreon. Everything's different. (laughs) Did you have time to like think about it and make some edits? No. No. (laughs) I liked the echo though, that was pretty good. To call back to our Friday the 13th yeah. episode, mm-hmm. which you you must have listened to. I did. Because yes. it was your husband. Yes. <laughs> he did a great job. So on Patreon, for just a few dollars a month, you guys will gain access to our entire catalog of 30-minute horror movies, special mini-sodes, our weekly after show, Host Mortem, which is available in both video and audio formats. Maybe you want to see our faces. Maybe you don't. Both are okay. You'll also get a special gift in the mail from us, giveaways, merch deals, and on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. In all honesty, we are here thanks to our patrons, so come on over and be a part of the We Would Be Dead family. Yeah, come on over. Come on over. And speaking of movies, did you see there is a new Thanksgiving horror movie that just came no. out? I know, we have to do it. Okay. It's not. It's serious, so oh. we're both going to be like, what? <laughs> as serious as a Thanksgiving horror movie can be. Right, right. But it's not Thanksgiving. Okay. And I saw it and I thought immediately, like, we have to do this. Is it like an A24 movie? Kind of. Okay. It takes itself kind of seriously, but then some of the scenes, it's like a woman on a table, like, dressed like a turkey. I'm like, this is not that serious. But see, those are the ones that are good, where they are trying. Yeah, these people are definitely trying. Yeah. So I think we'll have a fun time with it. And also, in the realm of films, I'm hoping we get a couple in soon. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. My fingers are crossed. Um, My kids and I watched the Five Nights at Freddy film. Nice. And it was so fun. I also saw most of it. Did you? I'll say most of it because I fell in and out of sleep. Well, you're sleep deprived. It's fine. 
But it was really good. Yeah. And I had, I thought it was really fun. And just based on our episode, I had like a lot of fun revisiting that lore. And my kids were telling me all this stuff because they're really into it now. Mm-hmm. So I thought like perhaps in the future we could watch that one too. Yeah, Because sure. we we talked about it so much. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, patrons, fingers crossed. I would love for those things to happen. I'm speaking mm-hmm. them into possible existence. That's all. And if all of those things are a little too much for you and you're like, I don't want expert content, forget about that. You can simply follow us on social media. We are at Pod anywhere and everywhere you get your content. You can like our posts, share our posts, like and share our posts. That's a really good option. It's like the one you should probably pick. Mm -hmm. You can leave us a comment, post about your favorite episode, let us know when you're listening, tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell that couple out trick-or-treating with their newborn. You know that baby can't have any of that candy and you're fully getting scammed, but you give it to them anyway. What are their names? It's not Leslie and John because they're going to come sit on my lawn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Kyle and Jessica. Kyle and Jessica. What's their baby's name? Brentley. Yeah, that's their baby's name for sure. Brentley's not getting a single lick of that candy. Yeah. He's just a, he's just bait mm-hmm. for their mm-hmm. trick-or-treating scam. It's ridiculous. But you know what? Maybe they need the candy. So I mean, tell them. good. It's, tell them yeah. to listen to us. Yeah. So then your friends and... And all three of those people, even Brentley. Jess, and Brentley. Yeah, they can become fiends and we can all hang out together. They'll know a little better if we hang out with them. For sure. They'll be like, yeah. oh, I won't scam people next year. I'll just buy my own. Right, right. Just what I do. My own bag of baby roots because don't touch my fucking baby roots. I don't know, though. Like, after going through labor, like, go go get that candy. You do deserve, you deserve it. I'll get you whatever candy. What and candy do you want? All of it. What's your Halloween favorite candy, though? Ooh, ooh, Okay. I feel like it might be Reese's. Okay. Though I do enjoy, I th- I think a Twix. Okay. I think I actually really enjoy Twix. Okay. Because I am getting a buttload of candy tomorrow for trick-or-treaters. Yeah. So I'll make sure I that. Like I just like that good bag. I like the bag that has like the Snickers. Milky Way. And the Milky Way. The Twix. And usually like Kit Kat. I don't need that other like BS bag. The other BS bags are way cheaper. That's why people get them. Yeah. But I live in a bougie neighborhood of full bars. So. Mm. Yeah. I'm not doing that, but I'll have lots of candy. And mm-hmm. I always set aside my favorites. So, like, mm-hmm. we'll have a little bowl that's ours. My actual favorites are Justin's. What? Those are little Justin's uh, peanut butter cups. Oh, get out of here. I'm not getting those. <laughs> thought you said you lived in a bougie neighborhood. I do, but I'm only getting, like, legit Halloween candy because <laughs> I have standards, Leslie. Please. I will also have bourbon and apple cider and that's a fire pit. Yeah. We could roast marshmallows. We're going to do the whole thing. We're going to do it because I have the room to do it this year. So Sounds good. That's a good rant. Yeah. And I think that's all that we have in the, or at least that I have in the way of Mm -hmm. announcements for this week. Leslie, do you have anything to add before we begin? Have you been storing something up for us? No. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I have not. Not a single thing. No. Well, all right then. (laughs) On with the show. So this week, because we are just gently welcoming Leslie back, and because it is Halloween, I thought we might play a fun little game of true or false crime. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. So this is a little bit like Two Truths and a Lie and a little bit like our Urban Legends episode Mm. in that I will tell you stories that I have found online. Some of them are pretty famous. One of them is not quite as famous. And then when I'm finished telling it, 
You will tell me whether you think it is true or false. Oh, man, you always yeah. trick me, too. They might both be true. They might both be false. There might be a true and a false. Oh, my God. I'm not telling you. That's oh right. And then so much anxiety right you now. Shouldn't. And then after we find out the answer, I will explain myself a little bit. So that's yeah. how this is gonna go. So without further ado, here's some true or false crime. Every time I ask our listeners about their worst fears, and I do that periodically for reasons, I learn some new and strange details that trouble people when the lights go out at night. Mm-hmm. Remember when we were like, oh yeah, people are afraid of balloons for real. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's fun to learn new things, right? Or porous. Items. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like holes. <laughs> like a loofah sponge? Get it out of here. Are you serious? Yes. Or like... Not a loofah. Although like the little lotus pods, that's yeah, the thing I'm thinking of. I can't. I, yeah. Well, they I always like make it. really gross pictures of those. But like trypanophobia or whatever it's yeah. called. I, but some I people can't have that. like English muffins. Can you? I can have an English muffin. Okay. So you don't have a full fear. No. I don't like anything also that resembles the way like bugs will lay eggs on a leaf. So a million tiny yeah, little things. Yeah, I mean, things. that's gross. But that's like gross. Yeah, but Violet was putting her diamond art diamonds on like little like yeah, clay but, figurines. And I was like, it looks like bug eggs. Right. Couldn't but like it. Violet's gross. <laughs> She's right outside the door. No, she's Just not. Gross. She's she's creative, though. Yeah. Um, but as fun as it is to discover new fears that neither one of us could have possibly imagined yeah. and now are maybe a little scared of. Yeah. It's just as interesting to see which answers pop up every single time. Mm-hmm. Right. Generally, people get hung up on the thought of intruders in their home. Mm. Like you. Yep. Mm hmm. Before you had a baby, we were going to try and scare each other on Halloween. And I had the scariest story for you. Well, I'm the episode it. that we recorded half of. Well, this one isn't about intruders. It's about the other one. Oh. No, thank you. Yeah. But just know that it's being saved for another <laughs> Don't time. Labor again. <laughs> no. <laughs> so other answers that we get a lot are uh, people don't like needles mm-hmm. uh, or spiders or closed in tiny spaces uh, or deep water. A lot of people don't like uh, mm. like deep, endless ocean water. But an answer that gets an overwhelming amount of attention every single time is dolls. Mm, yeah. People really hate a creepy doll. Yeah. And if it's a puppet, it's worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we've gone into the scientific reasons as to why humans do not like frozen faces, like that of a doll or even a puppet, because like, you know, you can have the best ventriloquist dummy in the world, but it's just its mouth really going. Yeah. So the whole thing is kind of mechanical and scary. The Uncanny Valley is not a place that we want to uh, park and hang out in for that long. So we're going to head into that. Now, we've talked about, in our Goosebumps episode, Slappy, the terrifying ventriloquist dummy from the Goosebumps series. And if you guys aren't watching the new Goosebumps on Disney+, Plus, you have to get on that. Yeah. Have you been watching it? Not yet. This is a Justin Long fan account. How are you not watching it? I understand. I was just going to say shout out Justin Long. Watch soon. He's great. My mother-in-law started without us. Get out of here. Yeah. Margie! I know. I oh, just boy. thought it was so funny. She was like, I've been watching Goosebumps. It's great. It's so fun. <laughs> but we have to, I have to talk about several things with you, so you got to watch it soon. Okay. So, if you watched the new series or any of the old ones or read any of the books, you'll remember Slappy the Scary Ventriloquist Dummy. But I don't think, as many times as I have mentioned him, that I have ever talked about his real-life inspiration. Mm. And so today's first tale will be about just that. I don't like it. No, nobody likes this. False. It's not real. It's terrible. (laughs) So, Leslie, I will tell you this popular and widely circulated story. Mm -hmm. And when I'm finished, 
You can tell me whether you think that it's true or false. Okay. Got it. No Googling. Slappy the Doll is pretty directly based on Charlie McCarthy, a well-dressed and monocled ventriloquist's dummy who sat on the knee of world-famous ventriloquist Edgar Bergen, father of Candace Bergen. Like Murphy Brown. Oh, right, right. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. I'm dating myself with the Murphy Brown reference. She's done so many other things, but she was in Sex and the City. She was like Carrie's boss at Vogue Mm -hmm. and a bunch of other stuff. Anyway. I just thought her name was Murphy Brown. It's not. It's Candace Bergen, daughter of Edgar Bergen. Yeah, I thought it was like a Bob Newhart show kind of thing. (laughs) That's that's great. I love that that's what you thought. But Edgar and Charlie enjoyed quite a bit of fame from 1936 to 1978. So they had a pretty long run. Yeah. Edgar Bergen was born in Chicago. He was one of five children and the younger of two sons of Swedish immigrants. He lived on a farm in Michigan until he was four, at which point his family returned to Sweden. So while he was in Sweden, he picked up the language. Bilingual, that's nice. And then a few years later, his family decided to return to the United States and they settled down in Chicago. At this point, Edgar is about 11. And it was then that he taught himself ventriloquism from a pamphlet called The Wizard's Manual. Oh. Witchcraft and wizardry. After his father died when Edgar was 16 years old, he went to work as an apprentice accountant, a furnace stoker, a player piano operator, and a projectionist in a silent movie house. Okay, so he's good at, like, making things work. Yeah, so he's doing ventriloquism in his free time, learning from the wizard's manual, and then doing these odd jobs that belong on an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark mm-hmm. in the rest of his time. Just kind of sets the mood. Right. So Edgar's like off and on doing his ventriloquism while he's at the theater and hanging out in local shows. And he really impressed a very famous ventriloquist who then said, I, I'm so impressed with your dedication and what you're doing that I'm going to give you Free lessons every day. You're my apprentice now. And Edgar's like, fuck yeah, man. Although it was like, you know, 1920. So he was probably like, oh, egads. I'm I'm thrilled or whatever. So he teaches him. They meet every day for nearly three months. Edgar learns all the fundamentals. In the fall of 1919, Edgar then decides he needs his own dummy, like a better dummy. So he pays a Chicago woodcarver by the name of Theodore Mack just $36, which was probably like $7 billion back then. That's so much. Yeah. To sculpt a likeness of a rascally red-headed Irish newspaper boy he knew. The head went on a dummy he named Charlie McCarthy, which became Edgar Bergen's lifelong sidekick. While Theodore Mack created Charlie's iconic head, which is really his whole identity, Mm -hmm. right? Edgar wanted to create the body himself. So he did, because he wanted the mechanisms inside the puppet to work a certain way and be tailored for, you know, for him. Which makes sense. All artists are particular about their tools. Don't tell me he got grabbed the newspaper boy. No. <laughs> and it paid I need off, your though. body. Ew. <laughs> Charlie's <laughs> personality was that of a mischievous little boy who could wisecrack, misbehave, and flirt shamelessly in a way that Edgar Bergen could not. Okay. So he was like his sassy voice. Mm. Much like Slappy in okay. Goosebumps, who is like a roast master. Yeah. Um, and Char- Charlie McCarthy was roasting people to a crisp long before Comedy Central ever sat down on a dais. Mm. So his first performances were in vaudeville. Then he worked in, a, in one real movie shorts, but his real success was on the radio. He and Charlie were seen at a New York party by um, Noel Coward and his wife, who recommended them 
for uh, to, to play at the Rainbow Room, which is like a fancy New York spot. Hmm. And when they did that, two producers saw them and they said, we want you. Let's put you on the radio. So they put them on um, on a pretty famous variety show. Charlie and Edgar made their radio debut on NBC's The Royal Gelatin Hour, which is a weird name. They all have weird names. Now, I'm going to actually give you this little hint right while we're telling the story. Both of these stories are not, they, there is truth in them. So if the, at the end of the day, the whole story is false, fine, but there are facts in them. Right. So just to let you know that. In case you're sitting there going, you don't know the name of 1930s variety shows, Holly. <laughs> right, right, right. But I do research like it's my job. Mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. so they were a huge hit when they did this radio show. And so everybody started clamoring for them. And they landed a spot on the Chase and Sanborn Hour, which is a super famous radio variety show that went on for like a really long time. No question. Is yeah. there a live audience to these? Or is he just doing, is he a ventriloquist on the radio? <laughs> we're going to get there. Okay. Oh, we're going to get there. There were people in the room, for sure. Okay. But not an audience audience, I don't I was going to say, it's like, you have a face for radio, like that kind of thing, where they're just like... It doesn't like, even is matter. He, is he even really good at this, or can he just do two voices? I'm going to get there in a okay. second. I'm glad you noticed that, though, because I was thinking the same thing. Okay. So they were like, we need to put you on the radio, because he can't do it live. Yeah, I mean, you have to see the dummy, right? You think you have to see it. Yeah. Um, And it's emceed by, like, famous actors, and they have on singers, and they have some comedians, and and they may have had a small studio audience, but I don't really think that matters in the long run when your radio projection is hundreds of thousands of people who can't see the dummy. Right. So, but these variety-style radio shows were, like, a really big deal in their their time. Really, they provided the widest possible audience for any artist lucky enough to get Mm -hmm. on one. Now, you might be thinking, and rightfully so, um, what good is a dummy on the radio? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, it turns out quite a lot. You see, it wasn't Edgar's stunning ventriloquist skills that people were after. In fact, he really wasn't that great of a ventriloquist. Mm. His lips moved a lot, and often his dummy, Charlie McCarthy, would make fun of him for it. <laughs> Not that you can see that either. But none of this matters because people really loved Charlie's quick, razor-sharp wit and impeccable timing. Mm. He was like an insult comic almost. He could like pick up on anything on people and just riff. He was really funny and he had a funny little voice. So people were just in it for that. They were like, we know there's a dummy there. We've seen pictures, but we just want to hear what he's saying. Um, and to answer the question, I, I hope you have in the back of your mind, yes, Edgar faithfully used Charlie the dummy even when only their voices were being recorded, even when there wasn't an audience. Okay. Always had him. And to Edgar, this made sense. Because to Edgar, Charlie wasn't just a dummy. Charlie was as real as you and I. Mm. Edgar Bergen treated Charlie McCarthy as though he were one of his children. He actually treated him better than his real children, in some instance, if we're being perfectly honest. Oh, yeah, children. Yeah. Candace Bergen, Murphy Brown. That's right, that's right. Charlie had his own room, and it was bigger than the other children's rooms, I might add. He also had his own seat at the dinner table and out in the living room by the fireside and was to be addressed if you were in the Bergen household directly and politely, just as one may address any other child. If you were in their house, you had to talk to Charlie. Weird. Charlie was having dinner with them and sitting with them while they, while they listened to other radio shows. Ugh, I hate those. I don't love it either. Charlie regularly engaged in family activities and was never put away simply because he was not on stage. You know, he went to bed at night like everybody went to bed at night. 
and got up in the morning and then, you know, had his day. I bet he was a really good sleeper. Probably. Jealous. (laughs) (laughs) In her 2015 memoir, Candace Bergen wrote that Edgar had a stronger relationship with Charlie than he did with her and that he was treated like her sibling when she was growing up. Mm. But more disturbing than... I hate this part. But more disturbing than that is what Candace said next. She writes in her memoir that when she was little, she pretended to be a dummy alongside of Charlie to make her father happy. Quote, a gentle squeeze on the back of my neck was my cue to open and shut my mouth so he could ventriloquize me. She wrote of her father, Charlie and I would chatter together silently while behind us, dad would supply the snappy repartee for both of us. So they were talking to each other. And he was like, hey, Candace, what's going on? You look weird today. And she was like, I don't know. I'm a real kid. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. gross. I don't love that, but I guess it's harmless. No. Maybe. It's harm. That is not harmless. I don't love it. Anyway, (laughs) Edgar and Charlie went on to make many television and movie appearances. And often Candace would be in these appearances with them, talking to Charlie and hanging Mm -hmm. out. And the pair were actually beloved by the public until Edgar's death at the age of 75 in 1978. And this is when Charlie's dark secret was revealed. After a live appearance to a packed house at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas on September 30th, 1978, Edgar and Charlie retired to their dressing room as they always would. Normally, the pair would emerge after a rest and perhaps a change of clothes and be escorted back to their room where they would retire for the night. But this particular evening, things seemed to be taking longer than usual. An hour passed and then two. Hotel staff and Edgar's assistants had knocked persistently at the door, but Edgar did not answer, and the door was locked. Finally, people began to grow concerned, and the manager, the hotel manager, brought down a key to the dressing room, because, you know, he would be able to unlock everything, Mm -hmm. so that they could check on Edgar and Charlie. Perhaps Edgar had fallen asleep. He's an older guy at this point, might have just been tired and took a little sleep. Or... You know, they they always had the nagging concern that maybe something happened and he needed medical attention or assistance. So the manager turns the key and opens the door to the dressing room, allowing Edgar's assistance entrance. And this is like a big, lavish dressing room because mm-hmm. he was a big star at the time, remember? To the assistant's shock and horror, Edgar was laying on the floor in a pool of blood, his throat slashed, eyes fixed wide open, rather like a doll now himself. Opposite Edgar sat Charlie on a red velvet sofa, looking on with his permanent smile. Having no idea how this event occurred in a locked dressing room, Edgar's perplexed and grief-stricken assistant sat down next to Charlie. He gingerly touched Edgar's beloved sidekick and started to pull him onto his lap when he realized that Charlie was much heavier than he expected. It occurred to him that no one else had ever been allowed to touch Charlie. Everyone thought that was simply because he was too precious to Edgar for him to endure the risk. But now Edgar's assistant wondered if there wasn't more to the no-touching policy than everyone thought. He laid Charlie out on the sofa and opened his tailored jacket, then unbuttoned his specially made dress shirt. From outside the room, then, the hotel manager, who had been patiently awaiting either relief or instructions, heard a gasp and then a thud. He rushed in the room to see Edgar dead on the ground, his assistant unconscious and slumped next to the sofa, seemingly having passed out, and Charlie disrobed on the velvet sofa. A haunting scene, to say the least. When the manager approached the sofa, he saw something even more horrifying than he could have imagined. Inside Charlie's shirt and tie was the shriveled, mummified remains of a human being. 
Not the newsboy, but you did mm-hmm. good at guessing. Okay. Charlie had been real all along. He just wasn't alive. Upon further inspection, it was revealed that Charlie's body was fashioned upon the remains of Edgar's first child, a boy who had died just before his third birthday. This boy had been born out of wedlock to a young girl that Edgar had dated in his youth. The pregnancy was unplanned and initially unwanted, but the child was well-loved. The two were scarcely 18 and tried to do the best that they could by him, but he was sickly, and back then there wasn't much to be done for a child like that. Edgar was so bereft when his son passed that in a moment when he was claiming to be having like a private goodbye with his body, he slipped the body out of the coffin and left. Edgar held on to his son's body, preserving him the best that he could, and then, in a moment of inspiration, created a way for him to live on forever. The boy was a secret that Edgar and Charlie had almost taken to the grave. Edgar had treated Charlie like a son because, in a way, that's what he was. Medical examiners... <laughs> So now remember, he died of like a slashed throat, right? Uh-huh. Medical examiners determined that this, that he had inflicted this wound upon himself. There was really no, no warning signs, but frequently there aren't. But a lot of people who are around them think Charlie may have had something to do with it, which is super wild and unbelievable. But the rest of it is like, holy cow, what? Huh. Yeah. Like, like that Charlie... Like, Charlie was alive sometimes. Like, he came, he, like, got up and did stuff. That's what people were saying. There is no evidence of that. The only evidence medical examiners could possibly find, because remember, they were locked in this room. Yeah. And people saw them go in. They saw the show that night. They watched them go in. Yeah. And they were, like, standing around waiting for them to come out. So no one else went into that room. Yeah. So medical examiners and, like, whoever was there, police and stuff, determined that it must have been that he took his own life. But people are like, it was the dummy. (laughs) Or he, or he, like, talking through the dummy, like, believing that he was real. Mm-hmm. Like, that could have been, too. One of or he was like, weird. I just cannot live with this insane shit anymore. No, I think he could have. I think that the dummy was, I think that Charlie, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Charlie. Yeah, you better call him <laughs> the right name. That Charlie was just like, you're an asshole, Ed. Was his name Ed? Edgar. Edgar. Oh, we can call him Ed. Sure, why <laughs> you're not? You're an asshole, Ed. Yeah. Dad. Dad. Hood. Yeah. I can't. All right. So, true or false? Oh, God. I feel like, I feel like that's false. (laughs) Final answer? Can I listen to the other story first? Or do Uh, I have to tell you? They're not, that doesn't mean that the other one will be true or false. You got to guess now, because I have like a cap on it. Okay. False? Yes. Okay. So... (laughs) There was no mummified child inside Charlie McCarthy, but this was widely circulated around the internet, and it still is. You can find it all over the place. Mm. Edgar and Charlie were real, though. Totally real. 100% was Candace Bergen's dad, and everything I said about them up until the point of Edgar's death is true. Okay. So, like, he really had his own room, and he really sat at the dinner table, and he really, like, made Candace Bergen pretend to be a dummy and talk to him. Right. That shit's real. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, In reality, Edgar Bergen died of kidney disease three days after he and Charlie announced they were retiring from show's business. Edgar knew he was sick and so did his family. There were no macabre surprises. I thought you were going to say, and so did Charlie. (laughs) I mean, he must have, right? And the stuff in Candace Bergen's memoir, like I said, is totally real. Charlie McCarthy was really treated creepily like a child. And in fact, when Edgar Bergen died, he left Candace Bergen nothing and Charlie McCarthy 
$10,000. This is true. Yep. To ensure that he was properly cared for by the Smithsonian, who has him on display to this very day. Pretty weird, right? Wild. Pretty fucking weird. (laughs) That is wild. I don't care what anybody says. That dummy was talking to that guy in his head. There's no way he acted like that. And it was like a totally normal thing. Right. Because Candace Bergen in her memoir apparently is like, it was real weird. It's a weird way to grow up. It was real weird. (laughs) Yeah. She talks about like Charlie's big room and her little room. Oh my God. I, I have to I have to read this I'll, memoir. I'll put the articles up that I sourced from because okay. I source everything in this everything in this story is factual up until a point. Yeah. And then so the internet story gets their names backwards and it's not phrased very well and there mm. are details that aren't I I fleshed it out a little bit better, but yeah. I'll I'll post that one too. Okay. So that's wild that any of that is real. Though. That's I mean, that's what I was saying. I'm like, yeah. it's nuts that this any any of it happened. Honestly, if I if I remembered the Candace Bergen part, I probably would have said true. But I like <laughs> was I was kind of forgetting that portion mm. of it. It's just like that's such a weird thing to throw. Yeah, I know. I know. It's bizarre. All right. Are you ready for one more? Yeah. One of the most famous urban legends of our time is that of the kidney heist. <laughs> That's what it's called everywhere. Great kidney heist. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I can hear Charlie McCarthy saying it. Yeah. Oh, no, a kidney heist. <laughs> now, I think I touched on this one in one of our Urban Legend episodes, but it never got full coverage. If I recall, I was rather dismissive mm-hmm. and quick to say that it wasn't real because most places you will find simply says, no, this shit didn't happen. But as it turns out, I uh, may have spoken too soon. Mm-hmm. The story traditionally goes like this. A man walks into a bar, sits down with friends, and orders a drink. For the sake of storytelling, we will call him Paul. So this is not the true or false part. I'm just reiterating the legend. Okay, this isn't the Jameson guy at the end of the bar? I didn't think of that. (laughs) He should be there being like, don't talk to that woman, son. (laughs) I'll put him in. Okay. Okay. A man walks into a bar, sits down with his group of friends, and orders a drink. For the sake of storytelling, we will call him Paul. Mm -hmm. I repeat. Paul chats with his friends for a little bit before catching eyes with an absolutely stunning woman across the bar from him. Yeah. The woman smiles at him and waves. Unable to believe his luck, Paul waves back. The bartender approaches, seeing a row of empty glasses, and asks the group of men if they'd like another round, informing Paul that his next drink is on the woman across the bar. Paul can hardly believe his luck again and accepts with a smile. And an old man sitting in a lonely, (laughs) darkened corner, staring at his whiskey, looks up from his hat and says, I wouldn't go near her if I were you, boy. That girl is dangerous. (laughs) And Paul said, where did you come from, Jameson Distillery Man? This isn't Ireland. And then he disappeared. Yeah, he's like, I'm everywhere. And then like, (laughs) I'm just here to warn (laughs) you. So if you see him, take heed. Just saying. So Paul then, at his friend's encouragement, they're like, go sit next to her. Yeah. He takes his drink and he walks across the bar and sits down next to this beautiful woman. This like never happens to Paul either. He's like super excited. And the woman is so pretty, he's rather tongue-tied at first, but not for long. The woman, we'll call her Stacy, for the sake of storytelling, is warm and friendly and very flirtatious. Mm. Paul is beside himself. The two talk for hours over drinks. Stacy pays for them all. Paul is drinking whiskey and Coke, and Stacy switches rather quickly from her glass of wine to soda water. 
She says that she's lightweight and she's already feeling the effects of her Chardonnay. And Paul doesn't give this another thought. The two talk until the lights at the bar go on, at which time Stacy asks Paul if they can go back to his house. Ooh. Paul, who is very drunk at this point, agrees. Stacy, who has had just soda water for the past couple hours, drives them to his apartment in her car. Mm-hmm. He leaves his car there. When they arrive at Paul's apartment, they enter, and Stacy suggests they have one more drink, and Paul agrees. Paul fetches two glasses of wine and sits down next to Stacy, and then the room goes black. God, she's like a Jeffrey Dahmer. Totally. The next morning, Paul wakes up in his bathtub. He is confused. He wonders if Stacy is still asleep in his bed. Perhaps he, ooh, embarrassingly, got sick in the middle of the night or something and needed to clean himself off. He did have an awful lot to drink, and it feels like he blacked out, so that's not out of the realm of mm-hmm. possibilities. It is then that Paul realizes he is shivering. The room, for one reason or the next, must be freezing cold. He blinks and rubs his bleary eyes and then looks down at his lap to see that the tub is filled with ice. Pulling open the shower curtain, he sees a message on the mirror written in lipstick. It reads, call 911. He sees a cordless phone on the ledge of the tub, because remember, this is ancient history all the Mm -hmm. way back in like the 90s, and sits up to reach it, but is drawn back down by a sharp pain in his back. He looks down again to see smoke-like red tendrils drifting through the ice in the water. He is bleeding, but from where, he cannot tell. Paul manages to grab the phone and dial 911. Paramedics pull him from the tub and take him to the hospital, where a doctor reveals that it's lucky Paul made it to the hospital when he did because one of his kidneys had been surgically removed. Mm. Further testing revealed that he had been dosed with rohypnol and that there was no trace of a woman named Stacy to be found. Mm. Investigators explained that there have been a rash of events like this in Paul's city and that the organs are being sold on the black market. The case of the kidney heist. It's a kidney heist, see? <laughs> so that's not true. Obviously, that's the urban legend. And it's a great story, right? It's been used numerous mm. times. In fact, there is an episode of American Horror Stories, the anthology one, mm. this season that's about it. They take a very interesting take on it. I highly recommend it. Um, but that specific situation never went down. But that doesn't mean a similar and less sexy mm-hmm. situation hasn't occurred and with relative frequency. Mm-hmm. After doing a little digging, I discovered this story, which emerged from India in 2009. United States news outlets managed to miss this story, but the internet doesn't miss a trick. And accounts of a terrifying phenomenon slowly began to surface. So this kind of like bubbled up to the surface from things like Reddit forums. Mm -hmm. So here's what I found. And these are just like personal accounts. And like that, that's really, that's really what we have. So in February of 2008, in India, a man named Mohammed Salim Khan slowly woke up from a daze, and as he regained consciousness, he found himself in an unfamiliar house with a stranger in front of him wearing a surgical mask and gloves. Now, already, I think this is worse. What happened to me? He asked the man because he could not move any of his limbs. Your kidney has been removed, the man said. But am I going to die? Khan asked, shocked at the information. He then said that he was taken to the three, a three-story house where this illegal surgery took place by men who offered him construction work. So the pretenses, again, like this is like translated mm-hmm. into the internet. The pretense is that they were like, hey, come to this building with us. We have a job for you. And he said, okay, fine. And then woke up as I explained. Now he's telling all of this to whoever is recounting it on the internet. 
while lying in a bed in the isolation ward of a civil hospital on the outskirts of Delhi. So this extreme story seems like just something like totally out there, a one-off, super ridiculous. But it's similar to that of the two men lying in the beds on either side of him. This, these, are, these men were in the room with him when he woke up from his surgery. Okay. So they're also promised laborer work. Now, for laborers like these guys, days often began at a central gathering spot where people would approach them with opportunities to do manual labor for money. So basically, they're day laborers. They work under the table. They're at the same spot every day. People know to go there, and they say things like, hey, I'll give you, you know, $100 if you come and knock down a wall or whatever it is, or pull out a tree. And it was one of these spots where all three of these guys were offered work for 150 rupees, which totals to about $4 a day. Yikes. Hmm. So all three men on varying dates over the next two weeks were taken to a house and kept there at gunpoint for several days. Surgical masks were strewn about on a lot near the house. As strange as this story sounds, the three men all said that at first they were not suspicious of what was happening. For the first man, I know, why wouldn't you be suspicious? Much how all our day laborers start. Maybe they do. That's why it's $4. Exactly. Much of the experience, aside from being held at gunpoint, rang true to what he had been offered initially. Free food and housing and and the lack of work for a few days seemed all right with him because he was told he would still be paid. Mm, Okay. Yikes. If they're that desperate. Yeah. Eventually, the three men said they were each brought individually to the house with a hidden state-of-the-art operating room. So this is in, like, the middle of poverty-stricken India in this house, and there's a state-of-the-art operating room in there. Tests likely to determine their blood type and other things were also given to them. The meds said they were given shots that made them pass out, and they woke up to excruciating pain and scars that wrapped around their waists. So this is an account from another guy. When asked if he believed that a man was going to follow his every move for the rest of his life, because they were threatened with an inch of their life afterwards, this man said, if someone can forcibly take my kidney out of me, they could also kill me, which is fair. Mm -hmm. They could. A few hours after the first man, Khan's conversation with the stranger, police raided the house-turned-operating theater to find the three victims along with two other men who were next in line for kidney removals. Khan said that before the police raid, two servants helped them dress, warned them of the impending arrival, and then fled the scene. So these people were like working for the doctors. They're like, get dressed. The cops are coming. Get out of here. Police also busted another nearby house where an American couple was staying. The victims were brought to the hospital where they underwent medical testing. The MRIs all say that the surgery has been done. The kidney has been removed. And the way the surgery has been conducted like with surgical precision, was all to the point of professionalism. So it looked like a surgeon had done it. So this is a third guy. Although the three victims said that they did not sell their kidneys or know about how the scam happened in advance, many of the poor in India have willingly sold their kidneys, generally receiving something like 50,000 rupees or $1,300 in exchange for the organs, according to police. Another victim, who said they received hush money only after waking up from the illegal surgery, received between $1,280 and $2,560, police said. Wealthy clients paid 
upwards of $30,000 to receive the kidneys, according to the police. So Mm -hmm. they were like taken to order. Right. In the most recent bust, one of the doctors doing this worked with his brother, who was also wanted by the police. And there is a third doctor that is being accused in the scam. So it is doctors doing this. And they have shady records. Five foreign tourists including the two Americans, were found in what police described as a luxury guest house owned by the doctor on Saturday, awaiting these kidneys. So the American couple that was staying nearby, they were waiting for one of the kidneys. Okay. There was a waiting list of some 40 foreigners from at least five countries. Mm. Police arrested four people accused of being connected to the case, including a nurse who authorities say worked um, with the doctors on their surgeries. But police still do not, do not know where the doctors went. They fled authorities and they never found them, which is why they need the help of Americans, they claimed. Quote, we wanted to know how these people came into contact with this doctor and what brought him here and how much money he was paid for this purpose, said the police commissioner. Maybe he thinks he may get into trouble if he answers those questions, but that is not the reality. We are there to help him out, and we just want to know the truth. So they're not even looking to charge the doctors. They're charging just the people who bought the kidneys. Oh. Now, as of now, all that information is all the accounts that we have from these people. So according to these these feeds from other countries, because they're not on American news feeds, Mm -hmm. there are several men who say they went to do a job and woke up without a kidney. Mm Mm-hmm. And there is a bunch of doctors doing this in India. Now, the weird thing about this is that there is very similar stories um, in China as well. Mm-hmm. So it's it's pretty close to exactly what happens here. When people don't know they're getting their kidneys taken. Right. And apparently that really happens. I said it never did. Mm-hmm. True or false? So I think it's true because I feel like I've heard of this too. Like people. It is true. Yeah. It is true. I thought it was false when I read it because I was like, they say this never happens. Yeah. No. Yeah. I remember that being like an actual thing because it's one of those, there's like sex trafficking Mm -hmm. and then there's taking your organs, you know, too. Yeah. But that's, it doesn't happen in like sexy New York hotel rooms. Oh, no. So here is the actual art, an actual article from the New York Times because I was making that shit up. Our our news media has gotten coverage all over the place. Yeah. I was going to say, I thought that I've, seen some of it but. yeah but those were personal accounts and that's why and so and there's that um the movie and there's the musical the repo men yeah that's a little mm-hmm. different but that's a little still, different yeah it's based on true events <laughs> so, <laughs> <I'm> just kidding <laughs> in Gurgaon, india i'm sure i butchered the name of that town i apologize greatly as the anesthetic wore off nasim mohammed said he felt an acute pain in the lower left side of his abdomen Fighting drowsiness, he fumbled beneath the unfamiliar folds of a green medical gown and traced his fingers over a bandage attached with surgical tape. An armed guard by the door told him that his kidney had been removed. Mr. Muhammad was the last of 500 Indians whose kidneys were removed by a team of doctors running an illegal transplant operation. So this one, it's like more shocking than what I said. I was trying to get you by being like, oh, I found this on Reddit. It's not as well cobbled oh, yeah. together. No, I was just like, no, this absolutely happened. Okay. <laughs> Because I could have just used this. this yeah, article, I was like, I, I don't know if your story is real, but I do know. No, you're right. That on the black market, yeah, they sell kidneys. Yeah. So these are a team of doctors running an illegal transplant operation, supplying kidneys to rich Indians and foreigners, police said. 
A few hours after his operation last Thursday, the police raided the clinic and moved him to a government hospital. Many of the donors, that's the word used loosely, were day laborers like Mr. Muhammad, picked up from the streets with the offer of work, driven to a well-equipped private clinic and duped or forced at gunpoint to undergo operations. Others were bicycle rickshaw drivers and impoverished farmers who were persuaded to sell their organs, which is illegal in India. Mm-hmm. Although several kidney rings have been exposed in India in recent years, the police said the scale of this one was unprecedented. Four doctors, five nurses, 20 paramedics, three private hospitals, 10 pathology clinics, and five diagnostic centers were involved. It's like a Christmas song. Uh, yeah, and a partridge <laughs> in a pear tree. The police officer in charge of the investigation said, quote, we suspect around 400 or 500 kidney transplants were done by these doctors over the last nine years, said Mr. Lal, the Gurjan police commissioner. The case has enthralled India's newspapers. Editorial writers have been particularly incensed by the failure of police to capture the main doctor, who has many names, but was known most frequently as Amit Kumar. He was arrested I in 19— 19- I was excited for, like, a cool name. No. No, but he has a lot of names. Okay. He was arrested in 1994 on suspicions of running a kidney transplant racket in Mumbai. So this is not his first rodeo, Mm -hmm. but he jumped bail, changed his name, and set up work again from several clinics hidden in residential apartments in Gurjan, a prosperous city outside of Delhi. The police raided one of his clinics in 2000. This guy is like everywhere, but somehow he was allowed to continue working. Hmm. Officials neglected to investigate further, even after at least one television investigation exposed his work. So the cops were totally turning a blind eye to this guy. On Tuesday, the Times of India called on the government to investigate, quote, the nexus between the organ traders and the police. Investigators were alerted to the ring on Thursday by a donor who said the operation had ruined his health. You think? Apparently tipped off to the raid, Dr. Kumar escaped arrest. Only one of the four main doctors implicated has been detained. The officials suspect that several private hospitals in Delhi and its suburbs were quietly complicit in Dr. Kumar's work and treated patients recovering from kidney kidney transplants. Quote, due to its scale, we believe more members of the Delhi Medical Fraternity must have been aware of what was going on, Mr. Lal told reporters on Monday. He said that a team of criminals he called kidney scouts like Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, and Kidney Scouts, usually roamed the labor markets in Delhi and cities in Uttar Pradesh, one of India's poorest states, searching for potential donors. Some prospects were asked outright if they wanted to sell a kidney and were offered $1,000 to $2,500. A car equipped with testing equipment, so right in the car, right there, was often on hand so that potential donors could be checked immediately to see whether their kidneys matched the needs of prospective patients. Letters and email messages from 48 foreigners inquiring about transplants were discovered in Dr. Kumar's office, Mr. Lal said. Five foreigners, three from Greece and two Indian-born American citizens, were found in one of the clinics during the raids. The police suspected that they were about to receive kidney transplants, Mr. Lal said, but they were allowed to return home because the evidence was insufficient to detain them. Mr. Mohammed, 25 years old, said on Monday that he had no idea it was possible to sell a kidney. He had been picking up odd jobs in Delhi for the past two years and sending money to his family in Gujarat, he said. So he was like, I didn't even know I could sell my organs. (laughs) Nobody told me. Two weeks ago, he was approached by a bearded man as he waited at the early morning labor market by the old Delhi train station, he said. The man offered him an unusually generous deal. One and a half months work painting for a little less than $4 a day with free food and lodging. 
Mr. Muhammad said he was driven four or five hours, that's, that's dangerously far, to a secluded bungalow where he was placed in a room with four other young men under the watch of two armed guards. When I asked why I had been locked inside, the guards slapped me and said they would shoot me if I asked any more questions. Oh. Yeah. Mr. Muhammad said, lying in a hospital bed wrapped in an orange blanket, clenching his teeth and shutting his eyes in pain. He said the men were given food to cook and periodically nurses would take blood samples. One by one, he said they were all taken away for operations. They told us not to speak to each other or we would pay with our lives, he said. I was the last to be taken. Nearby in a drafty isolation ward at the Gurjan Civic Hospital, Shakil Ahmed, 28, a laborer from Uttar Pradesh, said he too had been promised well-paid work. After a day of confinement with Mr. Mohammed, Mr. Ahmed said a blood sample was taken and a few hours later, against his will, he received an injection and lost consciousness. I had no idea about kidney transplants, he said, but when they made me lie down on the stretcher, I was terrified. I knew that these people meant to do evil to me. When I woke up, a doctor said my kidney had been removed. He said I would be shot if I ever told anyone what happened. The men said they received no post-operative medical checks and that money, I know, or other compensation was not discussed. <laughs> men. <laughs> Just go home. Three police officers guard the ward currently. Quote, these are the main witnesses to the crime, said Badlu Ram, a police investigator. The operation was so well organized that we believe they may be a threat to their lives. So they're like, they're going to come back and kill these dudes. Mr. Ahmed's father, Abdullah Ahmed, sat on the edge of his son's bed weeping. The father said his son's damaged health would keep him from working, leaving the family destitute. Quote, I don't know what we will do, he said. The men who did this should be hanged. And the doctor is still at large. So wild. Yep. That does suck, though, to find out that, like, had he known, he could have sold it for, like, Mm -hmm. Mm $30,000. And if $4 is, like... A lot of money. Good. Then 30000 would have been fine. They've been like way, way better. Yeah. I love that they, I'm sure that they were asked the I question, know. but I just love that one of the things that they said Both was, of we them. didn't receive any post-operative care. Yeah. That one and the fact that they both were like, I didn't even know I could sell my organs. I would have said the same Guys, thing. Guys, come on. <laughs> You've been keeping this from me the whole time? Wait, 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 wait. There was another option. I'm doing painting work for $4 a day and yeah. I could have sold my kidney? And I didn't even paint. God damn it. Ugh. Did they get any money? Probably not. Those guys didn't because the raid happened. We're, oh, we're, oh, well, that sucks. It the, sucks real bad. You know what? If the They deserve are, some money. Yeah, I think that I think the state should pay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they should be compensated in one way or another because they did the whole fucking thing and then they didn't get even the like, here's a thousand bucks, go home. Right. I guess if they were in, if they were in America, don't you think they'd get like disability or something? If they were in America, they'd receive a huge settlement. Probably. They would get disability. Absolutely. They would be taken care of for pretty much forever and they would receive a huge settlement from whatever state allowed that to happen because America's like, oh shit. Yeah. We can't be having this against our medical system. Right, right. And then like some star would like donate a bunch of money to them and then you'd be like, was it, was it their kidney? Was it supposed to go to you? Do you yeah. have their kidney? Do you have their kidney? But that's the, that's the <laughs> worst part of that story. The donors were waiting. Mm-hmm. So the kidneys went to fucking waste. Oh. At least one of them didn't get used. Yeah. I mean, well, they can't like last long after you take them yeah. out, but they said they are maybe, maybe they were used and those were other people waiting for other victims. I maybe. have no idea. I want to hope that. 
Because if they took their kidneys out and then they're just like medical waste now, that is the worst outcome possible. Yeah. Can you not put a kidney back into somebody? Not after a certain amount of time. Okay. Yeah. I think it was like long past. Or maybe they did use them. If they're going to be taken out, I hope they were at least used to save somebody's life. Yeah. That's so tough. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know that getting organs is is tough. Some tough work. It is. Got to get an organ. So it's like I understand there's like a desperate need for it. There is. Desperate measures. Yeah. So that's wild. But anyway, those are our two stories for this week. Wild. Welcome I got back. You ready. got them both right. Exciting. Good job. I didn't trick you enough. I know. Well, I will say, time. though, that like your first story, though, I feel like is mostly true. It is. There's a lot of truth to it. Yeah. But the end is false. The yeah. second one I tried something with and I should have just like, I should have just written it up fully. No, I was but, like, I'm going to make the, it dodgy. And then, no, I know. But even the fact that it's like mostly true. Yeah. Like the first one is mostly true. Like yeah. that did. That shocked me more, you know? Yeah, that this guy was like, this is my child. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll make sure that we have pictures to post of Charlie McCarthy. He looks a lot like Sloppy. Yeah. The Goosebumps doll. Because clearly he's, that's, ugh. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can still buy replicas of Charlie McCarthy on Amazon. Yeah, you can go see him in the Smithsonian. There are videos of him. I mean, he's it's all so over wild. the place. I've been to the Smithsonian. Did you not see Charlie McCarthy? No. You probably would remember that. I missed that one. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now we got to go. We gotta go. We gotta go to so many places. Okay, yeah. we gotta get out of here. We gotta do some stuff. All take right. Bowie places. Yeah, let's take her. Let's take her to see the uh, terrifying ventriloquist dummy. Yeah, she's she'll good. love it. She's been watching horror movies all perfect all month. She doesn't know. <laughs> she doesn't. She don't. She know. doesn't know right now. She she's don't fine. know. She can only see six, twelve inches away. She it's just like shapes. <laughs> she's good to go. No worries about it. So welcome back, Leslie. Thank you. Thank you. Yay! Happy Halloween, fiends. Yes. Happy Halloween. And if we believed everything we heard, we We would be dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WouldBeDeadPod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. I don't like holes. Huh?